Welcome into District 1 Sports. Mike and Micah back with you for the second time this week. Yes, I know we teased it on the last episode, but we weren't sure. But after watching the Washington football team's first game, we had to hop on this podcast. Micah, it felt good. It felt good to sit down and watch a football game, not see clips from uh, practice, not look online to try to find if you could see a Chase Young video, but actually TV coverage of the Washington football team. Yes, it was only for half a quarter, but we got to see the first starting no, the first starting D, and then we got a bunch of backups after that. Just give me your general thoughts and general impressions of just football being back in D.C. It was extremely exciting to see the Washington football team get back out there especially with all the off-season changes, all of the context that we've come to know over the last, you know, over the uh, off-season and coming to this point with a new idea of what this team is building towards to, man, and to see the product put on the field for the first time was it was really really good. Even though that the, you know, the win and the game didn't necessarily go in the Washington football team's favor, there was a lot of things to really really like. Um, in game time decisions, we probably would have honestly won that game given the fact that I would assume that special teams will be cleaned up and it would be a little bit more aggressive play calling. But for your very first outing, for your very, basically your very first scrimmage, not a bad showing at all. You saw a lot of things that were needed to be improved were already improved. I totally agree with you. I feel this uh, first preseason game was I saw almost everything that I needed to, and we'll get into more specifics, but it just felt like it was very clean and something that we haven't seen in a couple of years. The biggest thing for me is just each and every year, that first preseason game, whether it's the first though, whether it's Haskins or whoever it may be, that first offensive drive always felt like it was a three and out, and that translated into the game. Yeah, they didn't score much with the uh, first though, and they ended up losing on the scoreboard, but I saw more than enough to be like, okay, this is a real team. This is actually something that I feel that it's sustainable and not a fluke uh, that as some people could have said towards the end of last year with what you were playing. But let's get into specifics. So we all, we each decided to get five topics that we wanted to get into based off of this game. Yes, I know. It was two quarters of people that would actually play on this team, but we were able to get 10 observations. So I'll start it off here, Micah. My first observation that I uh, saw from this game came essentially on the first defensive possession. And that was Chase Young. Chase Young was a beast. He showed everything he needed to, um, had a couple of tackles, had a sack fumble that was eventually ruled an incomplete pass, was disruptive, and was every bit as good. No Montez Sweat out there. He was out with the illness. But seeing Chase Young just back in midseason form goes to show that this year it's going to be different. If you, if uh, people don't remember, Chase actually started – uh, last year with the groin injury and then he missed a couple of games when he re-aggravated it so he wasn't 100% healthy this year he is 100% healthy and we saw what he did to that first team defense so I was very impressed with Chase Young um, the D-line as a whole I thought they were pretty good get getting good pressure on Cam Newton um, once Mac Jones did come in though he was able to carve him up a little bit granted again not the first team D-line but you'd like your depth to be able to show where they're still able to give pressure in case somebody does go out because no longer is Ryan Kerrigan in your backup so you're going to need people to be able to produce in situations if god forbid a chase younger montez sweat have to miss extended time but man chase was a beast yesterday and he showed everything he needed to in the preseason i don't need to see much more chase was absolutely a beast and it kind of deaded even though this noise has been deaded for almost you know nine months now but that first three months of this you know well maybe two two or three months of the season where it was 
a little bit compromised. Chase was a little bit compromised with the injury, and there was some rumblings, oh, was Chase the right pick? Whatever the narratives were, that's all been deaded, and with a fully healthy Chase Young, you can expect him to be not only an all-pro, but somebody that's going to be climbing the ranks as a top-10 defensive player in the league. It is a legitimate factor what he brings to the field, and yes, you can make whatever generalizations you want out of preseason, but on the very first drive, excuse me, in the very first defensive drive on a third down, you force a strip sack against Cam Newton, who doesn't really do that stuff. You know, I mean, Cam is a big, you know, 6'6", 245 kind of dude, and you're over there getting strip sacks, we're going to be all right. But this also goes into the rest of the D-line, as you mentioned. When this unit finally gets together, and I would assume in the second and third preseason game, you see a little bit more of game-style rotations and whatnot, this is going to be the absolute strength of not just the defense, but the entire team. And if this is the strength, if this is how your strongest players are going to play in the first preseason game, forcing turnovers and wrecking havoc, it's going to be a good year for the Washington football team, man. It really, really is. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. My only, again, my only concern, and you brought it up, um, people jumping to conclusions and everything. This was the first team offense for the Patriots. So it's not like he was playing against anybody. Isaiah Wynn is the starting um, tackle for the New England Patriots. So Chase Young was able to dominate him in a way that um, three plays in, like it would have been, it would have been a long day for Isaiah Wynn if this was a real game and Chase was playing the full, um, the full game. But again, the only thing that I'm worried about, hoping that this defensive line can come around. Ron did talk about it in his press conference um, today after the game. He said that Shaka Tony and James uh, Smith-Williams, they got to get their conditioning up because they start off fast, but then they're able to slow up. So just getting those guys up to speed, get that rotation set, and this D-line is going to be the best in the league, I truly believe. Absolutely. And, you know, for my first, um, I guess, thing of note for the game and i'll kind of stay on the defensive side right now when your front four when your front four or front five is going to be as great as it's going to be this year you kind of hope that your linebacker situation is really just kind of filling in the blanks of what needs to happen and that was the problem with the washington football team last year that they didn't necessarily on the linebacker side of things you know in the linebacker depth in the linebacker room they didn't necessarily come up and with one make tackles but not just not make tackles, but also didn't really play much coverage. I think the best defender in coverage they had was Kevin Pierre-Louis, who was not on the team. And then after that, it was just a bunch of guys who decided to play defense that day in coverage. And in the preseason game and, you know, the same type of generalizations that you don't want to necessarily make in a positive way, you don't necessarily want to make them in a negative way when it comes to the linebacker room. But there were some clear indicators that, there has to be some growth overall, just in the entire room in general. Especially there needs to be growth if Jamin Davis, as a rookie, is going to be your middle linebacker. Um, it was pretty evident that Jamin Davis was not the captain of the defense out there yesterday, which is fine. It was literally his first snaps as a pro, not even his first legitimate snaps as a pro. But we kind of saw situations where maybe they weren't necessarily playing as fast as they could because they were trying to maybe possibly get calls going or they weren't as aggressive through the gaps. Patriots had a lot of run yards in that breakaway run to really just win the game. Um, you know, win the first piece in the game was kind of evident that everybody um, on that mid-tier level didn't necessarily do their job. And I do think that there should be some improvement, especially if Ron Rivera was going to be, you know, spending a first-round draft pick on this room, putting 
kind of all his eggs in one basket and getting a guy who's supposed to solve the kind of the issue because they didn't do much else in free agency to kind of shore up the uh, linebacker room. And who knows if things are going to keep progressing to the point where they even get a veteran free agent. So we'll see how that goes. But when Will Bostic is calling, well, first of all, when Will Bostic is your Sam linebacker, there's going to be issues. When, excuse me, your Will linebacker, when say, uh, when Bostic is your Will linebacker, there's going to be issues because he's going to have to be the one that covers people. And we know Bostic is not covering people. But when he's also calling your plays from the Will linebacker, it's very, very interesting because typically that is reserved for the middle linebacker. And we'll see how it works. I'm sure it's kind of just a teaching moment thing kind of going on. He's kind of just guiding him through the process because he was the signal caller last year on the defense. But it is interesting just to note how the personnel is because – We've been talking about this this entire time, and I don't want to spend too much time on linebackers, but this is a really, really important part, that we've been talking about the fact that the linebackers are going to have to, for one, be in the right position to make the plays and you know play the 17 games this year, but not be in situations where their skill sets aren't being maximized. And Bostic's skill set, I mean, I, I don't think he's a starting linebacker, but he is on his team, and if you're going to put him out there consistently, at least make him the Sam where he's filling filling the strong side run gaps and put Cole Holcomb at the will where he's getting some more pass coverage assignments or some zone drops and have Jamin just be that middle free-ranging defender. But you don't want to make too much out of this linebacker room. But it just wasn't as explosive and it wasn't as clean as it should have been. And I just think we have to kind of you know note that going forward that this room still has to grow. It was the same stuff we saw last year, and that's the most discouraging thing because if I would have seen improvements and it wasn't maybe just a step here and there, but it felt like I was watching the same exact defense where the D-line was able to fill on runs and the linebackers wouldn't tackle. John Bostic missed a tackle. That happened last year a lot. Jamin Davis, Ron Ver said it. He said he's overthinking right now. He needs more reps. I'm not going to be upset with that. But this is what I went back to with free agency when I was like, there's no way you're not deciding to pick up another guy on the linebacking core. It just doesn't make sense. Bostic is playing out of position. Jamin is very new to this. I, I think Holcomb um, has had a really good training camp. But this is still going to be a problem if the middle of your defense can get uh, gashed for six yards every single run. Chase Young is not going to be able to blow up every single play. Montez Sweat and uh, Jonathan Allen can't blow up every single play. And the linebacking core is still at a place where it is so far behind the other positions on defense, it's going to be a negative. And luckily, once you get into the red zone, you don't have much field to play with. Everything becomes tighter. The team is able to hold them, uh, hold them to three points. But with a really good offense, they're just going to destroy you, whether in the passing game in the middle of the field or whether in the running game, getting an extra six to seven yards. And again, I understand you said it's the first game, but with the continuation of seeing how this linebacking core played from last year and just seeing that continue with bad tackling, not the right angles, not filling the right gaps, it just felt like more of the same with a dominant D-line, a pretty good above average secondary, and then linebackers just all over the place. So that's the main thing I'm going to be watching for going forward because I really do think that's the number one negative on this team right now. Going from a negative. Yeah. Oh, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Micah. No, just very, very quickly before you get to the next negative or to the next point, we've seen the Steelers go ahead and get Joe Schobert today for a fifth or sixth round pick. Somebody that is an all-pro caliber linebacker. There's guys like K.J. Wright out there. Like, there shouldn't be a situation where we have a John Bostic in the very first preseason game missing open tackles and it just being okay. This is not a situation where it's okay because it's shown that this linebacker room can make a break a season. 
that's all I want to say. They have to take this very, very seriously going forward, and I hope they do. Yeah, and I've said in run I trust, but this one, it just I've scratched my head so much on this not picking up an extra linebacker. I know that's what you wanted to draft, but you didn't go linebacker in the draft to pass your first-round pick. Like, it was other skill guys, and we'll get to all of them, but I honestly do not know that this is going to be able to be sustainable over a 17-week schedule having this linebacking core. But, hey, we'll see. Like I said, in Ron, I trust. Moving on, I want to go to another rookie here, and that is my favorite thing to watch, and that's Sam Cosby and the offensive line. During that first uh, couple of uh, series for the offense, the offensive line was pretty good. Got, we're able to get Antonio Gibson a couple of uh, open holes there. Cosme was by himself one-on-one, was able to dominate his assignment. Leno, he got pressured a couple of times, but he was still able to hold his own. Ryan Fitzpatrick moved in the pocket well. Everything seemed good for that line. Then after, Sadiq Charles ended up playing left tackle. So right now, Micah, on the depth chart, Sadiq is the backup right guard, the backup right tackle, and now he was playing left tackle during the game. That is somebody that is very versatile, and I am 100% positive will be playing uh, starting at one of those positions uh, next year for the Washington football team. So I was very happy with this offensive line, being able to get pushed. Um, we'll obviously talk about Jared Patterson in a little bit, but he was able to find holes. They were able to hold up for their own. A unit that was very solid for them last year that I don't believe got enough credit from um, the media here is looking to just have the same type of season, uh, same type of season next year where they're going to be a very solid unit, maybe above average unit and give their guys some time, whether it's Fitzpatrick or Heineke. Yeah, this O-line, and you mentioned it very much so last year, that this O-line, outside of really PFF, who, you know, this is their job to kind of be the people that show, you know, shed the light on teams that were really actually good, you know, units that were actually really good. Washington had a top six old line. And I personally think outside of maybe one position, we've improved. And I think that, um, you know, that question was shored up last night, seeing how Sam Cosby handled himself. So honestly, if your old line improves from last year and you fill in the spots where you need to fill, why wouldn't this old line be better? It just doesn't make sense as to why this is a, well, it makes sense because the names aren't huge, but Sometimes the names on O-line don't have to be huge. You don't have to have a Trent Williams to kind of anchor your O-line. If the entire O-line floor is, you know, top 15, you know, if you have a bunch of guys who are top 15 or top 20 in that position in your O-line, well, the O-line is going to play amazing. And just to kind of segue this O-line, you know, talking to what I felt like was also a really, really bright spot during the preseason game was Jarrett Patterson. You mentioned it. Finding the holes are really, really easy when your O-line is going out and seeking the blocks and connecting and getting hands on people and actually moving guys. And Jared Patterson ate all night because of that. I believe his stats ended up, what, 10 carries, 40 yards, um, 70 yards total, got some nice catches in there. But you're seeing a player that was undrafted, a running back that was undrafted. If, you know, if this was... 2007 and the running back position was what it was back then he would have been drafted probably honestly in the fourth round but this is a guy who was undrafted he's a local guy and he showed why he's on a fast track to honestly make the 53 and, you know we don't want to put all of our eggs on basket and be homers on this but he showed that he has something that really only ag kind of has and it's the ability to separate from the line of scrimmage with the ball in his hands. Peyton Barber, 
lost weight. He was never really an explosive athlete, and him losing weight didn't necessarily do that. But we saw Peyton Barber on the third and one, typically where he would kind of just be a bowling ball and run over a guy. Didn't get that. Was really interesting to see. And then the parallel here is you see a guy like Jared Passon. Yes, he wasn't in the same third and one bowl, uh, you know, bowl a guy over situation, but. Every single time he got the ball, he made something of it, whether it was making guys miss in the open field, making clutch, clutch catches. That one, that back shoulder or, you know, that scramble drill with Taylor Heineke was poetry in motion because there's not 32 running backs in the league that can even do that. Like starting running backs that could do that what he just did. And for an undrafted guy to do that who is buried, technically, well, technically buried on the depth chart right now, for him to show that skill set is amazing. But really where Jarrett makes his, you know, makes his money is in between his tackles in the line man that run where it was you know i don't know if it was a counter play but he kind of made it a counter play by bouncing off and going outside and kind of just not wasting his movement getting to the first down not trying to be an east and west runner but a north and south runner it was just really really nice to see that and that's a guy who could spell ag throughout the season not a situation where you're asking uh uh, a J.D. McKissick or a Peyton Barber to spell A.G. whose skill sets are very defined. But you're asking a guy who can be an all-around kind of running back in general spell an A.G. And I think that is a combination that we have to keep looking out for. And Jared Patterson, once again, even Ron mentioned that, you know, with the game he had last night, man, we got to get the ball in his hands more. He might be out there punt returning for all we know in the next preseason game. And I think that when coaches are starting to look for ways to get the ball in your hands, that means that you've exceeded whatever limit that they've put on you. Now it's okay. Let's see what we can keep doing, and let's see what we can maximize um, out of this player because if he keeps showing that he could produce at a high level, not only will he make the 53, but he'll be a consistent contributor on the Washington offense this year. So you're saying Jared Patterson is making the 53? Yes, sir. I, I would stamp it. I, I think I think I had that anyway just because of I, I don't think that guys like Lamar Miller and Jonathan Williams – and honestly, if it came down between Jared Patterson and, and Peyton Barber, I would honestly take Jared Patterson. But I do think he's making a 53. So I didn't think that he was going to be a 53 roster guy. I honestly thought he was going to be a practice squad. And then next year he would be on the 53. After watching this game, he's 100% on that 53. And with Ron saying that he's going to start returning punts, he's trying to find multiple positions for him to play on this team because he knows he's electric with the ball. And with having him on that 53-man roster, you want to see Patterson get as many opportunities as possible. So once I saw that from Ron, I was like, oh, they saw it yesterday. They know exactly what they want from this guy. They know that he can help uh, contribute in a big way. And if they're able to get that contribution from him, your running back room is now very versatile. With Jared Patterson, who is now going to be, what, a punt returner, a kick returner, along with... Uh, a guy that can get you uh, a couple of yards because he is big and strong, but he's also very quick and speedy and can get uh, to the second level. You have AGG who can play wide receiver. He played it in college. And JD, that's a pass-catching running back. You got everything from that position. I'm very impressed with uh, the way that the offense is coming into shape and how it's been constructed because Ron has done a really great job and that front office has done a really great job so I want to transition from that to stick on the offensive side of the ball and talk about Logan Thomas that deal that he signed is looking like a steal already I know it was one catch but with the way people have been talking about him during training camp and just seeing that fits Logan connection on that third down Michael when was the last time a third and long you felt confident that Washington would get a first down like 
Chris Cooley, bro. Yeah, yeah, Cooley. Um, maybe, maybe even like, further like back, Fred Davis. Yeah, like maybe Fred Davis. Like around those times where we had top level playmakers and we were consistently still an eight, nine, ten win team, and they had an actual offense. It's been about twelve years, bro. Honestly, it's been about twelve years. Maybe Jordan Reed was the most recent, but even then, Jordan Reed was more of a flex tight end. Like he weren't, and he wasn't necessarily the biggest body. He had a lot of finesse in his game. He had great hands, but not a situation where we're getting with Logan Thomas. Not anything like that at all. I totally agree. And Logan was impressive. It was one catch, but that's all. I, it's similar to Chase Young. That's all I needed to see. Continue what you're doing from last year. Keep building on that. And seeing the way that they were able to stretch the field and Logan was able to adjust his body, that's how you know he's really becoming comfortable with the tight end position where it doesn't have to be right in front of his face. He tracked the ball correctly. He was able to turn his body. He was able to come down with the catch. That's all I needed to see. I'm excited for Logan Thomas and what this season is going to be for him. Yes, and moving on, you know, same side of the ball. Let's talk about a little bit more pass catching, guys. I want to talk about Steven Sims. And... It's not for the bad reasons. It's actually not for the first time for the bad reasons. It's for his use. I'm really, really, really intrigued about what's going on between Steven Sims and DeAndre Carter here. Because we saw DeAndre Carter get some returns, look decent in them, you know, got some nice yards. But I still think that this, how this roster is going to be constructed, I, I do think that position fits and scheme fits are going to trump the special teams thing, and it might, and, and you know what, it might be why you see Ron making comments like, "Hey, we need to get Jarrett Patterson in returning because that's a guy who's going to make the fifty-three, and you're trying to maximize all fifty-three players, and you don't want to necessarily have just a specialty guy." Because what we saw out of Steven Sims yesterday was inside work at slot, outside work at Z, which was I remember I said maybe like two years ago, bro, after his breakout year in that first year, I was like, "Yo." If Steven Sims is coming back healthy and he's going to, you know, live up to what he could be, you're going to see a guy who is going to be able to play the outside and the inside. Because I remember this very, very random tidbit of information that he said about himself, man. He was, you know, actually, I'm a natural outside receiver at Kansas. I played the Z. And that's just stuck in my mind ever since. And that's the role I've always wanted him to have. Unfortunately, he didn't play up to that in the last year. But for some reason... Maybe it's competition. It probably is competition. He's showing himself in camp. And I know he only really had one catch. It was a you know nice 18-yard gain. But he was used in similar ways that I would project them to use Curtis Samuel. And if Curtis Samuel is not, you know, I mean, Ron, <laughs> Ron said that Curtis Samuel has no timetable. That is not good. I don't think it's bad. Necessarily, I do think that he'll be playing at least you know, um, 75% of the season this year. But for the other 25%, if you're not trying to sacrifice scheme, well, Steven Sim has the exact same archetype. And, I mean, yes, it is kind of crazy that we're here putting a little bit more faith into Steven Sims again. But, I mean, if they're going to be using him and they have a clear role for him while Curtis Samuel is out and they don't want to sacrifice, you know, maybe playing a guy like Adam Humphreys at the slot who can't necessarily do all the things that a Curtis Samuel or a Steven Sims could do in those positions. But not just that, but have the ability to go outside and run intermediate routes and be in the middle of the field or be on the exterior in the field. There's a lot more you can do with those skill sets. And if Steven Sims keeps proving himself, if he's assignment correct, if he's showing good hands, I would expect him to keep playing a role. And you know what? 
I still feel com. I would honestly feel comfortable now as another possible 53 lock if this situation with Curtis Samuel keeps going because you're going to want to keep a guy with the same skill set. Uh, excuse me, with the same skill set, and Curtis and Steven Sims pretty much share that. I just need Curtis to come back. I know you still. I do. <laughs> I feel like you still are a fan of Steven Sims. Uh, what I saw last year was just so disappointing. And I don't want to get caught up in that trap again. So hopefully Curtis comes back. I do think Sims, everybody's saying he's having a good training camp and hopefully he's able to build on that. Maybe it's less pressure on him to be like a number four or five versus trying to be the number two. And maybe he thought too much about having to make plays and that helps him out as we go forward. I want to go over and stick with the offensive side for me here. And that's the QBs. Ryan Fitzpatrick came out there that first drive, and obviously we know it stalled with a, a third and one, and then they had to punt. In a real game, 100% Ron is going for that. They just wanted to get everybody out there, try to see different looks and everything. But they were moving multiple times. If Adam Huffins didn't fall on his second drive, they would have scored points too there. And Dustin Hopkins, we will we will get to him. Um but they would have scored points there. So Ryan Fitzpatrick looked very poised. Looks like the starting QB for this team. It looks like he's ready to rock. Taylor Heineke came in and he does what Taylor does, man. Making plays with his feet. It seems like his backyard ball, but it works. And he's the perfect backup right now. If Ryan Fitzpatrick either isn't getting it done or getting hit, there's no one, no one else really in this league right now that I would want um, more than Taylor to come in just with his style, the way he plays. And it's similar to Ryan Fitzpatrick where they're just guys that are going to try to make the big play and going to try to score and move the ball downfield. And that's just something we haven't had for the past, what, six, seven years now. Kirk would move the ball and get the ball downfield, but he, he was dissecting the offense here and there. He wasn't going deep um, once D. Jackson, Garcon were gone. So seeing that again where Fitz threw a 20-yard pass and he's going to throw 30, 40-yard passes, that was impressive to me to see from the QBs. It was really, really nice for once, honestly, it feels like, to see positive QB play. All the QBs that came in went over 60%. There was only one turnover from Steven Montez. Um, but even still, out of the two guys that really matter in this case, which was Fitz and Heineke, you saw exactly why they're the number one and number two, like you said. With Fitzpatrick, man, it's all just about working the intermediate for him because that's literally why he's here. We know that he has this deep ball. He doesn't necessarily have the strongest arm. I mean, none of the QBs on the roster kind of do. But with Fitz, is working the intermediate game, knowing when to take shots and knowing when to just be a veteran quarterback and be smart about it, and also knowing when to trust your guys. And you got a little bit of that in the <laughs> in the eight times he dropped back, like in the eight times he actually threw a pass. You got a little bit of that in everything. That Terry pass, intermediate throw, move the chains, you know, not sack, no, not going three and out. That was extremely key because for years now, even with Kirk, sometimes you will see those third and twelves maybe not go for that fifteen yards you needed. Instead, it will go for that eight yards of because of a checkdown or it would be just whatever bad situations the quarterbacks were getting them in. We already saw Fitz kind of eradicate that, and it was just very, very nice to see. And with Heineke, his strength is always going to be moving with his legs. Yes, he does. You know, have a little bit of an injury because of that but I mean as a backup quarterback and like you mentioned as a backup quarterback you need a guy who is able to bend the scheme a little bit because the scheme goes out the scheme is dead when the quarterback is out when your starting quarterback is done it doesn't matter who your backup is the scheme is done so you have to just make plays happen and we saw this with Heineke not just in the preseason game 
but in the uh in the playoff game last year where teams weren't necessarily prepared for him, but that's okay. It's uh, honestly, of course, it's to his benefit that they weren't ready for him. And just go out there and be a baller and don't make the mistakes. That's the one thing that I do like with Taylor Hart. He Even though he did have a couple interesting passes, whether it just be, you know, drop interceptions or kind of just a puzzling kind of move, it wasn't a situation where I felt like it negated his play. And that's really, really key. The biggest thing for the quarterbacks has always been just more positive than negative. And if that negative comes, don't let it dictate the entire game. And from what we've seen, man, even when things kind of broke down for Fitz or Heineke, they able to keep it, just keep it going and move the ball and have the offense running as a, you know a complete unit. Excuse me, a complete unit. And I mean, when that happens, you really don't have nothing else bad to say. I mean, what could you say about quarterbacks actually doing their job? <laughs> it's good that we're not talking about all the dumb mistakes that they made or questioning, you know, what kind of looks they were given or whatever. Because the worst thing to talk about consistently is just bad quarterback play. And I think we're finally inching our way out of that out of that uh <laughs> out of that bad spot man no you're totally right with that and like you said the most annoying thing was the third and 12 the ball going seven yards and trying to have a wide receiver make a play for the other five taylor and ryan will push the ball they're going to try to get that first down each and every time and that's what i'm most excited about with just watching this offense grow and develop because i do think it's still going to take a little time for everything to click but from what I saw with just training camp and one preseason game, it seems like they're already starting to find the rhythm between Terry Humphreys and um, Logan Thomas. Yes, and you know what? It goes right into the next thing that was I thought <sighs> was a positive, a big positive. Big positive first, so big positive first. So we can talk about play calling, offensive play calling first before we get to that terrible, terrible last topic we got to talk okay. about. Let's go um, positive then. Yeah, yeah, so – yeah, let's go positive. Let's go positive because it kind of just segues in because the intermediate throws were happening because, well, they were calling intermediate routes and intermediate concepts that opened the middle of the field up, and it was kind of just a lollipop there, man. You kind of just put the ball there, and you let your playmakers go make plays. But scheme-wise, one of the biggest things that needed to happen was, um, well, for one, there had to be a little bit of growth from Scott Turner. Yes, he is still a very, very young coordinator, and you see a lot of ambitious ideas. I think later in the season last year, you saw a little bit of what it could be just because I think he got a little bit more comfortable and understood what he had as a you know, you know a unit, and he made the most out of that unit at the end of the year, and that's kind of why the run happened as it did just because the offense was able to well, – of course, the defense was the catalyst, but the offense was able to not mess it up enough just to get to that point. But this year, I think with the weapons that they have, even the backup weapons that they have, because Diami Brown right now, he's technically a backup, but there's so much more firepower that they can be used. And – I think the combination, well, first of all, I think the scheme coming in, honestly, is going to be more of a West Coast intermediate kind of style. You're going to see uh, way less power run sets, like none of that stuff they were trying to do last year, and a lot less of Peyton Barber sets, um, just because they're not really going to be in a lot of Peyton Barber situations, I don't think, this year, um, for good and bad reasons. I don't think that it's a problem when it's a third and, and six, and, you know, you got a nice pass, you got a nice run, and you took a little bit of an intermediate shot, and then you pick up that third and six, that's not a bad thing. It's just going to be situations where it's like that, once again, that third and 12, and it's like, okay, well, we need 15 yards because we might have passed, took a sack, and now we're here. Um, But I do like the pace that the offense played at, and I think that starts from the top down with Scott Turner. I do like the fact that it seemed like they had a game plan. They were really trying to attack 
the edges of the Pats, you know, starting offense um, with a little bit more uh, stretch run looks and things like that, not necessarily just giving it up the gut to Antonio Gibson. And they were coupling that with some intermediate passes. And what and we talked about it last night. What the intermediate pass game does is when you pound that intermediate pass game and you're stretching guys back, well, they're going to have to get out of their base which means they're going to pop out in their nickel. So that takes a linebacker off typically and brings a smaller DB in. That DB is sacrificing about 30 to 40 pounds usually. So you're getting a way, way better look for when you want to start running the ball again. And one of my favorite things I saw was consistent running out of shotgun pass sets, but there wasn't a switch in personnel. It was a little bit obvious last year when Washington was going to pass from pass sets and run from pass sets just because of who was on the field. J.D. McKissick was one of the best pass-catching running backs because he literally played almost every single uh, shotgun pass set unless Antonio Gibson was getting like a screen or a dump off. I think you're starting to see Antonio Gibson become that three-down back, and that's why guys, like when you know, you talk about Jared Patterson, that's why it's good to have guys that are all-purpose now. You don't need the guys with extreme great skill sets because you're able to kind of balance it out and not tip your hand enough, and that's the next step. When it comes to Scott Turner, it's not tipping your hand to what the offense is going to do because you have the you have the ability to get really crazy with misdirections, rocket screens, screens in general. There's a lot that can be done with this offense with the personnel that they've kind of acquired. And I think with Scott, you're starting to see him get the wheels turning and get a lot more creative and less predictable with his play calling. And if that keeps going, once again, another great thing to look forward to this year. Just another great thing to look forward to, honestly. I agree there with the play calling last year. I honestly think Scott was kind of hampered with what his QBs were. So you start with Dwayne Haskins, who to start the season, it was terrible. You could tell the playbook was not open. It was the same 15, 20 plays they were run because Haskins just wasn't able to comprehend what this team wanted to do on offense. And the minute you saw Kyle Allen come in, it was more expanded. It was a more expanded playbook where Kyle Allen was able to get multiple um, reads in and look at multiple different players and not stare down his receiver and they open up the playbook more and then Alex comes in and it's a completely different offense as you said granted it could be also Scott becoming more comfortable with his weapons and trying to figure out how to mix and match things but that situation where you brought up how's it going to be um, when you can like not tell if it's an obvious run obvious pass well, that's what happens when you don't have Jeremy Sprinkles in the game anymore who can't catch, so you know, okay, this is probably going to be a run. We saw John Bates yesterday. He caught a 17-yard pass, and he was a great blocker too. That helps in being able to uh, scheme up and uh, be able to trick the defense on what's going on here. Okay, Logan and Bates are in. They could run it, but Bates could also catch it, and obviously we know Logan can catch it. So things like that, also having the offense be better, just helps him become a better uh offensive play caller he was able to move down the field got Antonio Gibson the right calls was able to get everybody um in the right position so yeah I'm really excited for what this offense can be with second year offensive coordinator uh Scott Turner and finally I want to go over to this rookie here um he's been talked about a lot he didn't start but he got playing time and that's Benjamin St. Juice in the nickel I think it's pretty positive we could say this that Kendall will be moving to slot and BSJ will be starting on the outside when they go nickel, which is exciting because that means Ron thinks he's ready to take over right now. And if Ron has faith in you, Ron plays his rookies. We saw it with Cam Curl. Ron will play his rookies if he has faith in you. And if BSJ is able to keep it up, he had a pretty good game. A couple of um, deflections here. We saw him celebrate. 
then this defense takes another step up because Kendall is playing in his best uh, position. You have BSJ now on the outside, two long guys in William Jackson and BSJ um, being able to play that outside. Cam Curl playing that free safety um, role. You have Glandon who's coming into the box, and on the play that Chase uh, had the strip fumble, Landon came on a blitz and it also helped move Cam towards more, uh, move, uh, Cam Newton towards Chase Young. So I think that if BSJ is able to keep this up, he's going to find himself starting very, very soon for this Washington football team. Very interesting little anecdote, um, looking at what BSJ did. So he played every single snap out wide yesterday. Now, if that's not <laughs> projecting a guy, to where he's going to play in the season, I don't know what it is. And the most, I guess, fun part for me is, like you mentioned, man, when St. Juice was playing fully outside, the wide corners were um, Jackson and St. Juice, and the nickel corner was Kendall Fuller. And we've talked about this. This is the money line up here. This is what needs to happen for this defense to keep going. Um, of course, the two safeties were, of course, uh, Cameron Crow and Lennon Collins. But really... Once you and you mentioned it, you said it perfectly. What St. Juice adds to this is the ability for your key guys to be a little bit more free and for the stress and the I guess the weight of the game to kind of ease off of them a little bit. And these are things that are intangible. These are things that are never gonna, you know, be statistically outlined. But when you have top ten or top fifteen guys who can breathe a little bit because they know on the other side of the field that their assignment is, you know, being locked up or they can breathe because they know that the guy on the other side of the field is handling his business on all four downs. Defense is just, I mean, this you see it all the time where defenses are made up by strong old lines and a great defensive back, the front end and the back end. And you're seeing the kind of back, you know, you're seeing the back end take the step up that it needed to. One of the key things of the, you know, going into this season was, the DB as a unit have to be totally better. It can't just be Cameron Curl and Kendall Fuller being your key guys. You have to overall put a lot of stake and faith into your DB room because it doesn't seem like the linebackers are going to be able to get it very time soon. So, I mean, if your front and back is covered, then that's better than nothing. And with St. Juice, I mean, of course, we all know his athletic profile. You're getting length on the outside. You're getting somebody that can naturally play man outright immediately. But you're also getting a player that is going to allow Kendall Fuller to be the top one or two slot corners in the league. Somebody that could you could send on cat blitzes. Somebody that's going to be able to guard the best slot receiver, which is really, really key in the NFL right now. And somebody that's not necessarily position locked. So if you have St. Juice and William Jackson as your outside and you still have guys like Jimmy Moreland who can sub in as your, you know, your slot corner, you can do tons and tons of things with Kendall Fuller. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Kendall Fuller making his way up in the ranks, which is crazy because he's already a, considered a top 15 guy. But seeing a guy who has a great, great impact on the field every single game, and it's crazy how St. Juice is kind of, you know, going to be able to play off of this because without St. Juice, Kendall is going to have to play outside. And, yes, Kendall outside is a top 20 corner, but inside is a top five corner. So it kind of just allows the freedom to happen on the defense that is necessary for this defense to be the best in the league. And – when you're in situations like this, once again, where you have guys in new roles already stepping up and playing, it just has a great outlook, and it makes things a lot easier to project going into the season. So it really is just a beautiful thing to see St. Jude's get all the snaps on the outside and produce. Yeah, and having your best 
corner play in his best position is a W. Like, Kendall was ranked, I know it's Madden ratings, but he was ranked in the top 10 of corners, and he wasn't playing his position that he, yep. he's best in. So having this guy now play his best position only can make this defense so much better. So I'm excited to see what this defense can end up turning into because we've been talking about it all offseason, and we're finally getting to see it. But this really could be a top two top unit in the NFL, and I don't think I've been able to see a top unit in Washington. Let's get to the last part, Mike, the overall negative <sighs> out of a great, great night pretty or much. Or the same. Something's changed. Yeah, something's changed, and something's never freaking changed in D.C. And here we go talking about special teams in the very first preseason game. Can we get a break? But you know what? You know what's interesting? This time, the alarm and the warning bells, they were rung. They were rung at a code red alert because a lot of people, you know, we've seen this story before. We've seen how this goes. So I'll start, you know, I'll start from last week and I'll bring it into the current day, into the first piece of the game. So the live practice at FedEx was a great experience for the fans. Everything went off without a hitch, but there was one hitch. There was a big hitch, and it was the special teams period. It was really bad. It was terrible, actually. <laughs> Balls flying over kickers' heads, you know, Tress Wade just trying to field the ball, and he can't do that. Dustin Hopkins not necessarily getting the boot on the ball as he should when he's literally going against guys who have yellow hats on who are not rushing him. It was just very interesting to see. And some of the consensus in the D.C. media was that, okay, well, it could be a situation where the timing is off because they have a new long snapper. Usually Nick Sunberg has been the guy for the last decade who, by all accounts, you know, the less we talk about long snappers, the better. And the fact that Nick Sundberg was literally an unknown name for the most part, unless you were a diehard Washington football fan, that is a great sign because, once again, why are we talking about long snappers? But you know what? We got to talk about long snappers. Cameron Cheeseman, bro. Look, bro, this is the second, third-ish kind of time that it's been noted that your snapping is a little bit wonky sometimes. Apparently, in practice, he's perfect. But, of course, in practice, he's perfect. Why wouldn't she be perfect in practice? I don't know if he has performance anxiety right now. I don't know what it is. I don't know what they're doing in the league that's different than what he did up at Michigan. But, bro, it's very clear that the snaps are throwing off the rhythm. And it's also very clear that the snaps are throwing off the rhythm so much that it's throwing off everybody else. Dustin Hopkins went 0 for 2. Wait, 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 wait. We're not going to just blame bro. Cheeseman here. This is – Dustin Hopkins was missing no, 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 picks no, with Hopkins, Sunberg. Bro. Snapping last year. Bro. Yeah, the punts. Tress Wade had three touchbacks all last season. He had two touchbacks um, in yesterday's game. That could be on Cheeseman. But the field goal kicking may not be in the best position, but Tress has to hit. Or we got to get somebody in here immediately. Oh, no, 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 no. Let's not make any mistake about it. I was not absolving. (laughs) I was not absolving number three back there, man. He, oh, man, he has to be better. Because like you mentioned, he's been missing kicks for years, bro. (laughs) <laughs> he's literally been missing kicks for years, bro, even with Sunberg, like you said. But the biggest thing of concern for me um, was just that, for one, once again, we're, we're talking about it here. Hopkins, like, he did this, like, weird little hitch thing, and that's when I'm like, you know, okay, it's got, for one of them, just for one of them, it was probably, like, a, a combination of snap and him kind of rushing it. The other one was just no excuse, and I don't care if you make a um, an extra point that's what you're supposed to do, but, like, you going over two in actual field goals when it counts for six points, I don't care about that little plus one when you're not, you know, handling your business is getting a six more points. You get six more points, 
we could all do a little bit of math, but you're only a field goal away. You know, that's how it, you know, take that for what it is. But I think right now the specialists, you know, as a as a unit, man, it's got to be some cleaning up. And I do think that they'll be able to bring it together. But I'm a little bit afraid right now that this is going to be a trend that we hate revisiting down the road because, it you know, you're getting a situation where Washington's special teams was always kind of in the top 15. Some years they had really, really lights out special teams, and some years it was like, okay, you know, they're average. I don't want to be in a situation where they're bad and it's noticeable, but we are slowly, uh, you know, approaching that point if this keeps going. And last thing you want to talk about, as I keep saying, is special teams. When I do know it's the third phase of the game, but it matters. You know, the third phase of the game thing is like, punt coverage, how you're handling yourself on kick returns, are you, you know, doing executing the right type of looks right, are you running your lanes right, not long snapping. If there's a long snapper and a kicker problem, then this season, honestly, because it does matter so much, those little things, this season is going to be, it's going to be interesting just because of what could have been by these small little mistakes that kind of snowball into big picture things. Things like that could wreck a season. I I don't want to, you know, get too off topic, but there was one of the seasons in maybe the late 2000s where the Chargers, they were special teams, good special teams play, you know, just a little bit better special teams play from being a team that didn't make the playoffs to possibly being a team that won the entire conference. It matters that much, and you have to shore up these things for the season. Sunberg has left, and that's okay. Ron, I guess – Thinks that in year 11, he's old, he's had surgeries. Sure, that's fine. Trustway, I'm not worried about at all. But what we have seen with Hopkins over these past couple of years is that 40-plus yards, it's 50-50. I'm never confident that he's going to make a kick anymore. And that's not what you can have in your kicker. Just like with the linebacker play, I don't understand. I know you want to build up his confidence. I don't understand not bringing in any type of competition for Hopkins. They talked about it in training camp. He was missing kicks. Yeah, but it's a smaller, um, it's a smaller goalpost in training camp. So it's fine. When the game comes around, he'll be able to make them. Game has come around. He's still not making them. So I don't know what exactly we're doing here, Ron, where it's just, okay. Yeah, he'll figure it out. We'll get it going. That's what's going to cost us games. I'm truly believe that Hopkins is going to cost us a game this season. And we're all going to be like, well, this was avoidable. We saw it last year. We saw it the year before. And we saw it during the preseason. But, hey, if Ron wants to keep on going with him, with him then um, we'll see. I do want to talk about special teams, though, with DeAndre Carter. I was really impressed with him. His running ability, just be able to get the ball and find green grass, that's not something he, we saw last year from um, our kick and punt returner. So I do think DeAndre Carter has a real chance of making this 53. Oh, absolutely. And that position battle we talked about last week where it's literally, okay, what do you um what is our sixth receiver basically bring to the table on special teams? It's gonna come down to DeAndre Carter and Steven Sims battling, you know, battling out. Steven Sims brings a little bit better, uh, a little bit more to the table scheme wise on offense, but DeAndre Carter already is clearly the better returner. Steven Sims had that nice return year his first year, but you gotta, you know, go with what you showed and what he showed last year was that he is very, very inconsistent. If DeAndre Carter is going to be like this in the season, I don't necessarily need him to have the flash plays like Steven Sims did. 
Get the ball, secure it, get yards to get the offense on the field. It should be a simple transaction. Shouldn't be anything crazy. We shouldn't be continually being subjected to drop punts or, you know, bad fielding or whatever the case may be that we have with Steven Sims. Like I said, like we keep saying, the more, I mean, the less we talk about special teams, the better. If my returner is just going to catch it and run straight and give me eight yards, well, he's going to do that, and he's going to catch it, and we're going to get the offense on the field, and I am very, very much okay with that. So, yes, DeAndre Carter has a great team, I mean, a great chance of making the 53, a very, very good chance because he is a return specialist, and that is what he does. He is very, very good at it. we already seen that. Yeah, and that's going to wrap up this pod. I'm excited. I know we talked about a couple of negative things, linebacker plays, special teams, but for the most part, I was just very impressed. Team looked professional. Team looked ready to go. Defense was still dominant. Offense actually moved the ball. Can't ask for anything more. So Mike and I will be back again next week. We'll be previewing our next matchup against the Cincinnati Bengals, what we want to see, what we're expecting, get some more news from the week uh, prep before we get into the game. And we're excited to get it, keep it going and have this football season start rolling around. And we gave you these two episodes a week. But for Mike and for Micah, we'll see you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.